what God has in store for us, what God has already given us in Christ. It is mind-boggling in scope, beautiful in its contours, but we do need to be wearing the proper eyewear to see it. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, we're going to continue a series today, The Unsearchable Riches of Christ. And as you've just pointed out or alluded to, God has incredible riches in store for us, riches that are already ours. But you said we need to be wearing proper eyewear to see that, to recognize that. So what is this proper eyewear? Well, I think we need the eyes of faith, and our faith needs to be fueled and shaped by the Word of God. And of course, that's what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is doing for us. At the end of Ephesians 1, he's he's wanting to help us to see all that God has given us in Christ. And of course, it's just wonderful how he prays that the Ephesians will be able to have this enlightenment of heart to see all that God has set before them in Christ. Well, that is something that Paul prays for them, those eyes of faith. For the person who says, I kind of get what you're talking about, Jonathan, but I'm not sure I have those eyes of faith, or, or at least my eyes are very dim. How can I begin to grow that faith or, or bring those eyes of faith into greater clarity? Well, Steve, I think it's my sincere prayer for anyone in that kind of position who's listening today that the Lord would, as you know, you just hear the word of God today, that the Lord would do that work in your heart, giving you the eyes to see which may be things which may be so far you haven't been able to see. But the truth is there in the word of God, and, and we're going to be talking about it today. Well, we're going to get into God's word right now. If you can, grab a Bible and join us in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 1 as we begin a message called, Eyes to See All That God Has for Us. Here's Jonathan. Well, I think we all know that it can sometimes be hard to pray. Hard not simply to be disciplined and to set aside the time to pray, but hard to know how to pray and hard to know what to pray for. We can always pray for urgent needs, of course, health and financial needs, crises in the community, situations of tragedy and loss, and it's important to pray for those. But aside from those needs, what should be our regular priorities in prayer for ourselves, for one another? It's so easy, isn't it, to descend into bland generalities when we pray. We go through a prayer list and we pray that God would bless so-and-so and bless so-and-so and bless all the missionaries as well for good measure. And on one level, that's, that's fine. It's good to pray that God would bless people. It's not wrong. But it can feel a little shallow, can't it? It can feel rather empty if we just repeat that by rote. Praying and praying well, praying biblically, praying in line with the heart of God, it can be a challenge. But when it comes to the matter of prayer, the Bible actually gives us more help than we realize, not least through the prayers of the Apostle Paul recorded in his letters. His prayers model for us how to pray for the people of God. And Paul's prayer here in Ephesians chapter 1 is a particularly helpful, a wonderfully helpful model for us, because here the apostle is praying not for a situation of specific difficulty or acute crisis, but simply for the people of God as they go about normal life. Here is what Paul longs for the Ephesians, and here by extension is what we ought to long for and pray for, both for ourselves and for one another. 
And so I'd like to suggest this morning that if we listen carefully to Paul in his prayer, he can teach each one of us to move beyond one-line prayers that God would bless so-and-so, bless everyone on our list, move us beyond that to something deeper, something richer, something much more in line and in tune with the will and the purpose of God. So let's listen together to the Apostle Paul as he teaches us to pray. You'll notice that Paul begins his prayer with thanksgiving, verses 15 and 16. He's heard of the faith of the Ephesians and their love for their fellow believers. And what's his response to that? He thanks God. You'll remember that in the previous verses, we saw that the Spirit of God is God's seal on a person's life, demonstrating that this person, this man, this woman belongs to Christ. And so as Paul sees evidence of faith and of love, evidence of the Spirit's work in a person's life, as he hears those good reports, he gives thanks to God. And he does so because he knows that these things are marks, are evidence of the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul begins with thanksgiving. And actually, if we pause right there and reflect it on that, we won't give much time to it. But if we pause and reflect on that, there is a huge lesson there for us in our praying, isn't there? when we pray for others, when we work through a prayer list, perhaps. What a wonderful and right approach. What a wonderful way to begin. You know, I see faith in that person's life. I see a love for others. I see a servant's heart there. I see a growing Christian character. Thank you, Father, for your Spirit's work in this person's life. What a way to pray. What a way to begin. Well, that's how Paul starts, but then he moves on to ask for something, and he asks for something very significant, and that's where the focus of attention lands now, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here is the weighty thing on Paul's heart. Here is the subject of his incessant prayer that God would give to the Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not that they don't already have the Spirit of God. They do already have the Spirit. We've seen that. But He wants them to experience the Spirit's particular work of illumination, of giving insight into the revealed Word of God, of giving wisdom and revelation so that they may know better the God to whom they belong. Now, you and I will naturally imagine that our biggest need is for certain circumstances in our lives to change, for certain needs to be met, for certain difficulties to be taken away. That's what seems pressing. That's what seems important for most of us most of the time. And no doubt the Ephesians had some pretty big needs in their lives, problems to address, crises to manage. But what is Paul's incessant prayer for the believer? It is simply this, no more, no less, that we may know God better. Isn't that interesting? When you and I pray for the people who are on our heart, we'll be inclined to pray, of course, that their various needs will be met. We'll pray that their circumstances might change, that their difficulties might go away, and it's natural to do that, but what is the more vital thing to pray? What is the greater? What is the ultimate need? Simply this, that our brothers and sisters in Christ might know God better that the Spirit of the living God might meet them in their circumstances and teach them more of His character and His grace. Now, isn't that interesting? 
Isn't that counterintuitive? Wouldn't that transform your prayer life? Wouldn't it transform mine if we really took it on board? The NIV Bibles that we're using here, uh, in that version, the thought of verse 18 seems to be a kind of separate thought. I pray also, as if we're now moving on to a kind of separate prayer. But actually, what follows now in verse 18 is a continuation of this same progression of thought. It's all part of the same thought in the original. These are the particular areas now where Paul wants their knowledge of God to grow. He wants them to know God better as they grasp three key things. And here they are, the hope of God's calling, the riches of God's inheritance, and the greatness of God's power. We're going to look at each of those, and we're going to start with the first one. Paul prays that the Ephesians and we together with them will know the hope of God's calling. Verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. I don't know if you've ever gone to see a movie in 3D, maybe presented in one of those dome IMAX screens so that the whole experience becomes a kind of immersive thing. It can be wonderful if a little overwhelming with images coming right out out of the screen, right at you, and action happening all around you. It can feel like you're entering a new world, the world of this film, the world of this movie. But the vital thing in order to be able to enter into that experience is to be wearing the 3D glasses that they provide you at the door. If you're not wearing the glasses, the experience just does not work. I don't know if you've tried that, just taking off the glasses in the middle of a 3D movie. All you see is a blurry screen. It's foggy. It's unclear. And whatever might be beautiful or inspirational in proper focus, it's reduced to this lifeless blur, and it's kind of a waste of time. Paul knows full well that there are stunning realities before us if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. What God has in store for us, what God has already given us in Christ, it is mind-boggling in scope, beautiful in its contours, but we do need to be wearing the proper eyewear to see it. We need, by the help of the Holy Spirit of God, to have the eyes of our heart enlightened, says Paul. It's a lovely turn of phrase, isn't it? The eyes of our heart. There are certain things that we can only see with those eyes of the heart, with the eyes of faith. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Eyes to See All That God Has for Us. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23 today. And we're going to get back to this message in just a moment. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come to our website and you can listen online. The website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, the website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. And whether you listen to the program on the radio, online, through our app, or however you've connected with this ministry, it's all made possible because of your generosity. So thank you for being a supporter of Encounter the Truth. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a three-book series written by Tim Keller. He's writing about birth, marriage, and death, three of the significant milestones that many listening will be facing. And we'd love to send you this three-book set as our way of saying thanks for your financial support. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or again, EncounterTheTruth.org. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. We need, by the help of the Holy Spirit of God, to have the eyes of our heart enlightened, says Paul. 
It's a lovely turn of phrase, isn't it? The eyes of our heart. There are certain things that we can only see with those eyes of the heart, with the eyes of faith. But with the eyes of faith, the Spirit helps us to know and see this hope to which God's called us. And what is our hope? What is the hope to which He has called us? Well, it is the hope of transformation in this life and glory in the life to come. That's our hope. It's the hope that God will be at work within us, changing us, transforming us moment by moment and day by day from the inside out. It is the hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will begin in increasing measure to be able to say no to the things we hate, no to the sins that ruled us, no to the patterns of thought and behavior that destroy us and that wound those around us. It's the hope of becoming more like our Savior day by day. But our hope is not only a this-worldly hope. It is a hope of far greater things yet to come. It is the hope, isn't it, of Christ's return to gather us to Himself to complete our salvation. It is a hope of resurrection from the dead so that our broken and our failing bodies will be made new. It's a hope of living forever in the presence of our Savior, of being reunited in heaven with His people, so many of whom have gone on before. It's the hope of the ultimate freedom from the power, the effects, the presence of sin. It's a hope of eternal life in God's eternal kingdom. Now, these are very wonderful realities, but we do need help to see them, don't we? We need help in raising our sights from the world around us, the world that we touch and feel and see, and instead to look with those eyes of the heart, the eyes of faith, to see that which is yet to come. Now, we all find that hard to do. We all find that challenging. And we find it hard because this world is so often so very pleasant, so very appealing, so very attractive. And in seasons of our lives when we're finding the world particularly beguiling, we don't readily hunger and long for that which is to come. That's true of all of us, I think. But it does strike me that the Lord sometimes graciously uses our circumstances to prompt us, even to force us to raise our sights once again from the world around us and to fix our eyes on the world to come. We notice right at the beginning that Paul doesn't pray that the Ephesians' problems will all just go away or that their lives will become rosy in every respect. He doesn't actually get into that kind of praying. That's not a very Paul thing to pray. He simply prays that irrespective of their circumstances, they will know God. They will see something more of Him, something more of what He has done and what He will yet do. As we think of the dreadful realities we've been facing here in our community in recent days, we do want to pray for the Lord's help and His mercy for all those affected. We long for healing. We long for restoration. But we also recognize that the sovereign God can use this kind of circumstance in powerful ways, use this circumstance to remind us and to remind those around us that this present world is not all that there is, to remind us that this present world is damaged by sin, broken by the fall, and to cause us once again to force us to raise our sights. I've mentioned before the writings of John Newton, and and in particular his letters, which I'm enjoying dipping into at the moment. In in one of his letters, which a, a friend pointed out to me just recently, Newton writes of how easily we become enchanted by this present world, thinking it's not as dark as it really is. 
He writes of this enchantment and of the Lord's kindness in sometimes breaking the world's spell in our lives. Listen to what he says. Thus in the desert's dreary waste, by magic power produced in haste, as old romances say, castles and groves and music sweet, the senses of the traveler cheat and stop him in his way. But while he gazes with surprise, the charm dissolves, the vision dies. T'was but enchanted ground. Thus, if the Lord our spirit touch, the world which promised us so much, a wilderness is found. Newton goes on to say that it is a great mercy to be undeceived in time. And though our dreams are at an end, when the Lord in his kindness shatters the illusion for us, yet we see a highway through the wilderness, a powerful guard, an infallible guide at hand to conduct us through. And we can discern beyond the limits of the wilderness a better land where we shall be at rest and at home. It's very beautifully put, I think. And the point is that God uses all kinds of means to shatter the illusion of the beauties and the perfections of this world. He uses griefs and illnesses and trials of many kinds to do that. He can even use tornadoes to do that. But it is a kindness of His when He shatters the illusion for us. It's a supernatural work that God does by His Spirit to turn the eyes of our hearts to the hope set before us. He does that for us, of course, first in conversion, but He needs to keep on doing it for us, doesn't He, for each one of us. We keep needing to be weaned off the world and to set our eyes and our hearts and our affections on the world to come. And so it's a prayer that we must continually pray for ourselves and pray for one another, that these future realities, this hope, will be so real to us that we will see it with the eyes of our hearts, that we will delight in it, and we will place our hope in it. Paul prays that these believers will know the hope of God's calling. Next, he prays that they will know the riches of God's inheritance, verse 18 again. I pray also that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That second half of verse 18 takes a couple of reads to get clear. There's talk of an inheritance here, but whose inheritance are we talking about? What is the nature of this inheritance? We learned back in verse 14 that we ourselves are going to receive an inheritance. So maybe the focus here is on something that we will get from God. That could make a lot of sense. But actually, as we look closely at verse 18, as we slow down and read it, it seems pretty clear that what Paul is talking about here is God's own inheritance, something that God has set apart for himself, namely his saints. It is his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches that God has set apart for himself in eternity, well, they are his saints. They're his holy, his redeemed people, his church. You and I together, we are his glorious inheritance. Now, that's the spiritual reality. That's what the Bible tells us about ourselves. But Paul knows full well that it takes the eyes of faith to see it. It takes the revealing, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to perceive it. 
If you ever spent any time in England doing some sightseeing, you've probably visited on one occasion a house belonging to an organization called the National Trust. The National Trust was set up a number of years ago in England to preserve historically important houses and estates for the nation. What's tended to happen over the last century or so is that families who have inherited some of these very great country estates have found that maintaining and heating and, and, and caring for and paying tax on these enormous places, places that are generally very run down, it was just too much. And they needed to get rid of them. And so the National Trust was set up to take ownership and responsibility for these places and then open them up for the public to enjoy. And what typically happens is that the trust will take ownership of a place, and when they do, they will have to spend a number of years restoring the house to its glory, restoring the structure, the aesthetics, the furniture, the gardens, so that when they're done, the place looks like it did in its glory days 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 500 years ago. And you can just imagine a family, I'm sure this has happened many times, a family hands over the keys to one of these great houses. It was a wreck when they did so. The bills were piling up. The roof was leaking. The carpet was threadbare. The garden was a wilderness. It was an inheritance that they didn't particularly want. They hand over the keys to the National Trust, and the trust then takes the keys, closes the place up for a number of years, restores it, and then open it up. And a few years later, the family come to visit and see what's taken place. And they are struck by the beauty of the inheritance that they had. A beauty, perhaps, that they never saw, they never perceived. It was a crumbling wreck when they handed it over, but now it is a glorious treasure. It takes the eyes of faith to see the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. It takes the eyes of faith to appreciate the treasure that God has set apart for himself in his people. If we look out at the church of Jesus Christ, if we look out at the people of God, if we observe ourselves, we see something that is very much less than perfect. We see the cracks, don't we? We see the blemishes. We see the damage. We see the cost. We see the inconvenience. We see the frustration. We see the pain. And sometimes we really struggle to see the value and to see the beauty. We see sin. We see conflict. We see divisions. We see discord. We see immaturity. We see hypocrisy. And we easily wonder what is so special about us. What's so special about me? What's so special about the church? But here's the spiritual reality where you and I might see a wreck. God sees treasure. Where we see a mess, perhaps, God sees a masterpiece in the making. Where we see a ruined people, God sees a redeemed people. And in His eyes, it's glorious. It's beautiful. It's an inheritance. It's a treasure. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth. Eyes to see all that God has for us. That is the title of today's message, and we have to pause right here, but we're going to continue next time. I hope you'll make it a point to tune in. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come and listen online. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We do depend on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a bundle of books written by Timothy Keller. And uh, Jonathan, in this uh, three-book set, uh, Timothy Keller is taking a look at three significant life milestones. 
That's right, Steve. These three books, On Birth, On Marriage, On Death, give a biblical framework for thinking about these key milestones in life, and I think they're going to be of help to believers who want to gain a deeper understanding of God's perspective, a biblical perspective on these milestones. I think also they'll be of great value to give away to those who don't yet know the Lord, but are trying to understand something of what it means to live in God's world. And they'll make tremendous, tremendous gifts, and and they could be of great use to you if you're someone who's still trying to make sense of the Bible's teaching and of who God is. So we're so glad to be able to make these available this month. Timothy Keller on birth, marriage, and death. This three-book set is what we would love to send you as you give a financial gift of any amount to Encounter the Truth this month. You can find out more or give online by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.